0: How's everybody doing good, not a bad crowd. You guys are like the brave ones, right? So it's good, uh, seriously. Like all four services, um, it's really uh, I have a really hard time canceling church. It's just uh, you just I don't know, it, even even if only. A third of the people come. It's just, someone's there because there's something they need to hear, you know? So it's been a good weekend so far. And um, hey, this is going to sound really weird. Uh, there's a lot of you guys uh, going through the fast. We're all doing this fasting together. We're loving it. You're really happy that you're doing it. It's, uh, we're all doing this fasting. During this fast, one of the hardest parts for me is uh, I, I cut out a lot of secular stuff. So I mean, music and, and movies and stuff like that. I'm a movie guy. I'm a music guy. and it's, I cut all that out and what i try to do and i know a lot of you are doing is i try to watch a lot of christian stuff because it's uplifting and it's encouraging and you just learn more about your faith and then this sounds weird i try to watch a lot of like anti-christian stuff i youtube a lot of videos you know disproving christianity and I, I try to use that to kind of sharpen myself and how do i defend myself against these questions and this sounds weird the last couple of services i felt led to say and i don't i don't i don't know why i just feel led to say it um in a lot of these videos if, if, if you, you don't have to be a theologian, you don't have to be a learned person. I'm not a learned person. I have a bachelor's degree in English, um, never went to seminary. I don't have a master's level or PhD level, none of that. But, but with a little bit of research, a little bit of study, a little bit of work, all of these attacks on the validity of the Bible, the validity of Christianity are, are pretty easily debunked. There's one I watched where it had 600,000 views. There's a young lady, um, you know, who's attractive, semi-intelligent young lady who's talking about how ridiculous Christianity is. And she says, well, there's too many contradictions in the Bible to mention. And I'm like, just mention one, because there's not any. Like, like, give me some, and I could easily debunk these things. And there's not any. And so, with a little bit of research, a little bit of study, I remember one of the things she said in the video. She goes, "The Bible says multiple times that the earth that, that the earth is flat." And I'm like, "No, it doesn't." And Job he says that the earth is a sphere that is hovering in space. That's long before astrophysicists. You know what I mean? Like, the Bible is very, very intelligent and very, very brilliant and very, very right on. And so, I guess I wanted to say that for if there are any of you in here who are skeptic. Um, Any of you who who are, are on the fence about this, the book of Daniel has been so good. It's showing the history of the Bible, and the more archaeological discoveries they make in that area of the world, the more it just confirms what the Bible says, and it gives more and more validity to our faith. And to add on to that, I'm not a very learned individual. Um, But in the nine o'clock service, for instance, we have a guy named Dr. Robert Dudley that comes to the church. He created testosterone cream about 25 years ago. Very brilliant. Sits on the board for Pepperdine in in Malibu, California. Brilliant man. His wife has a PhD. She is also a, a lawyer, a defense lawyer. She was in Chicago and Florida. And so there's a lot of brilliant people, entrepreneurs, people with degrees. My wife has a degree in chemistry and biology who are very firm believers in this word and that the word is inerrant, that there's no mistakes in this word. And so with a little bit of work and a little bit of diving in, it's not not hard to debunk the criticism uh, against our faith. And so that's why we do what we do. And I hope today, we're going to get into some pretty crazy stuff today in chapter 10 of Daniel, but I hope so far that your faith is being built up, that you're learning how to not defend like in a defensive position, but in order to to, to defend your faith um, with all the criticism that's coming. So we hope to build on that a little bit today. Don't know if that was for anyone in this room. It may just be for me. But anyone who's on the fence who's skeptical, do a little bit of research, do a little, a little bit of diving in, and you'll be surprised at how much you'll be, uh, you'll be shown. So a couple of weeks ago, we, we've been in the book of Daniel for a long time, took a break last week for a vision service, but a couple of weeks ago, we finished up chapter 9, which is a little dense. Right? At this time, if you haven't been with us, Daniel is a prophet who's worked through several different empire changes, these regime changes, and he's always had favor. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. What he's doing, though, is he's in his his mid 80s, about the time of of writing chapter 10, and he's writing his memoirs. So he's talking about these different stages in his career, if you will, and what was going on during these different regime changes. And in chapter 9, at the end of it, he talked about. He was given this vision of 70 weeks that really wasn't 70 weeks. It represented 490 years, which is going to be, you know, from, from the building of Jerusalem until the very end of time, this, this kind of window. And he broke this down. It was pretty dense. And now in this chapter, we're going to talk about the supernatural a lot. So in the previous chapter, we talked about that God has revealed his plan to mankind. So what do we do with that plan? You know, how do we go out and spread the gospel? How do we prepare for the Lord's second coming? Now, in this chapter, we're going to talk about the supernatural, and it gets into some really, really interesting, fun stuff. I think you guys will like this. It's a really fun chapter. But I'm going to pray. We'll dive into this. You should have got a notes handout when you walked in. Looks like that. It's got all the notes in it. Uh, it's also on YouVersion, the, the app on your phone. All the notes are on that if you want to look that up. And uh, again, guys, we probably don't do an adequate job as a a staff here. You have no idea how much we love and appreciate this church. You guys are a phenomenal, phenomenal group. So I'm going to preach to the choir today. What I mean is I'm going to say a lot of stuff that you probably already got a good grip on, but just in case, okay, we need to remind ourselves, all right? Let me pray. We'll jump into this. Lord Jesus, God, I love you. Father, I love this church so much, God. I don't know why in your infinite wisdom, Lord, that you saw fit for me to be able to lead such, such a phenomenal group of people. But God, I'm humbled by it, and, and I love you so much for it. There's no, no place else on planet Earth I'd rather be than right here and right now. God, I love you, Lord. I pray that you just bless our time together. I pray that you open up our understanding, Lord. Help me to teach your word with accuracy and help me to teach your word in a way that honors you and pleases you, God. Father, we pray for every church in our city right now, God. Bless every pastor. Bless all the leadership. Bless the congregations. And Lord, let your kingdom advance through us, all of us, God, your kingdom. Lord, we love you, God, and we praise you. And we say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. We're in chapter 10 of Daniel, okay? If you're new, that's in the Old Testament. If you have a Bible right after the book of Ezekiel, I'm going to pick up. I'm going to read in chapter 10. We're going to do a whole chapter, okay? So I'll read a little bit and I'll break it down. Here we go. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel who was named Belshazzar. The message was true and was about a great conflict. He understood the message and had understanding. Of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. I didn't eat any rich food, no meat or wine entered my mouth, and I didn't put any oil on my body until the three weeks were over. Now, if you've been with us for a while, last chapter, it talked about that it was in the first year of King Darius, and this says in the third year of King Cyrus, that's not a contradiction. Darius was under King Cyrus. King Cyrus was over the entire Persian empire, and Darius was in charge of the region of Babylon. And what this is, is this is the the, the point in time, three years into Persia's reign, that Cyrus became interested in Babylon. Now, if you wanna research King Cyrus, interesting leader, known as very benevolent, kind, good leader, not a follower of the true God, but very benevolent. Anyone seen the Daniel movie on Netflix? King Cyrus was not a white guy with blue eyes. Uh, He was Persian. He had a big old beard and he looked Persian, unlike the movie on Netflix. But anyways, so we see in chapter 9 and chapter 10, there's no discrepancy there, okay? Also at this time, what's important, if you were with us during chapter 9, one of the reasons that Daniel was extremely stressed in chapter 9 and he was praying and he was crying out to God is he was upset that his hometown was in ruins and he was upset that the temple that he worshipped at as a young man was, was in ruins. The good side is at this point in the writing, they were starting to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. So there's a certain amount of that stress that was taken off of him. But in the rebuilding of Jerusalem that took about four 45 years or so, give or take, in the rebuilding of that time, there was a lot of conflict, a lot of fighting. So the stress was still there. So all of the stress of Jerusalem being rebuilt, all of the stress of the visions and the dreams and the different things that Daniel has been a part of in the book of Daniel, it has taken toll on him. So what he decides to do is pray and fast for 21 days, for three weeks. Okay, that's what he's talking about. He's going to neglect certain things and fast. Now, some of you may have heard of what's called the Daniel fast. The Daniel fast comes from this chapter. 21 days, and all it is is fruits and vegetables and water. So no pleasurable drinks, no meat, uh, no desserts. He even goes so far where he doesn't put oil on his skin. And to us in our very, you know, humid climate, okay, what's the big deal? In a very dry climate like his... It was a big sacrifice to lay down these oils and these comforts. And he did that not to cut carbs and lose weight, not to, uh, you know, brag about how spiritual he was. He didn't do it for those reasons. He did it with the intent of denying himself and getting clarity from God. So it wasn't really for him, really, for any benefit of his. It was so he could get information from God, okay? Now, to add to that, if life wasn't stressful enough for Daniel, to add for that, he says, I'm about to receive this vision about a great conflict. I'm going to receive understanding about this huge conflict that will take place not just on earth, but in the spiritual world. We're going to talk about spiritual warfare and Daniel's going to have his eyes opened to what goes on in the spiritual realm. Now, so talking about prayer and fasting, because a lot of you are experiencing that right now, I'm really proud to say that. I think a 1,000 people or so at the church are doing this fast, which is really, really cool. When we do fasts and when we pray, we tend to be selfish with those two things, not because we're just awful, terrible people. We're we're humans, and we tend to focus on self-preservation. And though prayer and fasting does benefit us, it is good for us in a lot of ways, emotionally, spiritually, even physically, it's good for us. The mature Christian or as we mature as Christians, we should eventually move from a posture of just being reactionary. I've done these horrible things, so I need to pray a lot. I'm disconnected with God, so I gotta read my Bible more. Instead of being reactionary, we need to eventually move into being proactive, to where we're praying for things before they happen. That we're praying for our children before they you know, turn their back on God. That We're praying for our marriage before it's, you know, the divorce papers are served. And I'm not trying to be mean, but as we mature in our faith, we should take more of a proactive, offensive position in our spirituality. Okay, that's just growing. That's maturing. Okay, this is actually a picker, uh, picker a picture <laughs> of the Tigris River. As you know, a picker, whatever. <laughs> on the 24th day of the first month, so right after the fast, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there was a man dressed in linen with a gold belt from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like the brilliance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and his feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his, his words was like the sound of a multitude. Only I, Daniel, saw the vision." The men who were with me did not see it, but a great terror fell on them, and they ran and hid. I was left alone looking at this great vision. No strength was left in me. My face grew deathly pale, and I was powerless. I heard the words he said, and when I heard them, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground." That's just a side note for any of you guys who are geography buffs or history buffs or whatever. The Tigris is not the biggest river in the Mesopotamian area, but it's the most powerful. And it's about 1,150 miles long. So it's not a small river, it's a big, powerful river. So Daniel went there either to vacation, maybe after the Passover, a Jewish Passover that he would have observed, and he took a little vacation afterwards, or he could have been there on business, on work. Doesn't matter. He was at the bank of the Tigris River, maybe just just admiring this beautiful river and and sitting there just kind of relaxing a little bit. And while he was doing that, there was a vision of a man. He saw a man. Now, when we talk about angels, which we're going to do today a little bit, we're we're careful when we do this, we're going to talk about angels. In the Bible, most people, and I've even said this, that angels are genderless, now, I don't really know if they're genderless or not. It says in Matthew twenty two thirty 30, it alludes to the fact that they don't have a specific gender. They're not male or female. But when you read about angels in the Bible, they have a reference to, they appear as, and have the name of males. Whether they are or not, it really doesn't matter, but it's kind of an interesting thing to talk about. So what Daniel saw is he saw something that looked like a man. It was in the form of a man. And so what people believe is this is either an angel that he saw or what's called a Christophany. If you've never heard that term before, a Christophany happened a lot in the Old Testament. Jesus was a Christophany, a a physical manifestation of Christ. It happened to Abraham when he was visited by a man and two others before he went into uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. This was uh, a Christophany, a physical manifestation of Jesus before the New Testament. The uh, the burning bush is a Christophany. The pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke that the Jews followed, those are called Christophanies. So it could have been something similar to that. It was either Jesus Christ or it was an angel. Again, we don't know, and ultimately, it really doesn't matter. Here's what's interesting, though. His appearance. So Daniel describes this appearance. He says that he was wearing linen. In the Bible, linen typically represents Purity, that whoever this individual was, was completely pure. The belt, the gold belt, showed or represented high stature, importance, power. The body looking like topaz. I don't know if you ever, if you Google topaz, topaz can be in all kinds of different colors. But what's beautiful about topaz is you can see through it. So it's got this beautiful, beautiful, it looks like a diamond, but they come in, in very different colors. And they're very, very brilliant. And it said his face shone like lightning. Imagine if lightning struck and kind of paused. So when he saw the face, it was probably almost painful how bright and how, how brilliant this was. He said his eyes were like flaming torches, skin like polished bronze, not like the, the white guy in the Daniel movie on Netflix, skin like polished bronze, and a voice like multitudes. Now, what's interesting, you should go back and read this just, just for the heck of it when you get home. Go to Revelation chapter 1. And when John, the guy that wrote Revelation, is describing seeing Jesus, it very much looks like this. It's almost exactly. I think the, the small differences are uh, instead of his voice sounding like a multitude, his voice sounds like roaring oceans. Or There's just very small differences, but it's very, very similar to this account. So what's interesting is only Daniel saw this. No one else saw this. And and this actually happens again in the New Testament when Saul is riding his horse down the road uh, to Damascus. He gets knocked on his butt by Jesus. No one else sees it except for him and has this huge encounter with God. Very, very similar to that. And and like with Paul, um, uh, the men with Daniel didn't see anything but they obviously felt something. There was something in the air and they were terrified. Maybe they heard the voice of this angel or or of God himself, who knows? But whatever it was, it scared them and they took off. And only Daniel was standing there and he was going to have this encounter with this angel, right? Or, Or with this Christophany. So the difference between this and what we've talked about, maybe about, I don't know, three, four weeks ago in chapter eight, is this is not just a vision. This isn't um, like the holodeck on Star Trek, that you know, that terrible analogy I keep using. But um, it's not just a holodeck on Star Trek where you can't touch or feel or smell anything. This was an actual experience in an actual place. And when he sees this angel or Christ incarnate, whatever it is, when he sees this, he has the typical response. I love what he says. He says, "'I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground.'" He passed out on his face is what happened, right? He got scared. (laughs) You know, it's like when you're telling people a story about why your nose is busted up. I just fell into a deep sleep on my face. You passed out, right? So he, he passed out out of fear, and he's laying there in a coma of sorts until another angel approaches him. Now, that brings us to something interesting. Encountering God is not always joyous. That's a weird thing to say, isn't it? Now, I know contentment comes from God. I know the only source of joy comes from God. But listen, when we are called to come into a relationship with Christ, we're also called to carry a burden. And that is not always fun. So the 12 men that followed Jesus, just to use an example, the 12 men that followed Jesus, I don't know how about you know about the aftermath of them following Jesus, 10 of the 12 of those men died horrible deaths. One hung himself, that was Judas, he hung himself because of his guilt and shame. Um, John, the guy that wrote Revelation, was the only one to die a natural death. The reason why they believe John died a natural death and the other ones didn't is John was the only disciple present when Jesus was on the cross. The other ones fled. And so the other ten died horrible deaths. Um, one was drugged through a city until he was dismembered. One was crucified upside down, that was, that was Peter. One was hacked to death. One was bludgeoned to death. And John, who died a natural death, was still boiled alive and exiled to his own island. And so whenever we are called, whenever there is a great calling on our life, we must also understand that there is a great price for that. When Jesus says, come follow me, everyone's like, yeah. And then he says, oh yeah, and pick up your cross. Then we're like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. Now listen, if you're in this room and you're not a believer yet, we just want to be honest with you. Following Jesus is the greatest choice you'll ever make, and it's completely awesome. But it's not always fun, and it's not always easy. But encounters with Jesus—if you have an encounter with Christ—you'll never be the same, even if you deny Him. Now, there's this mythology kind of behind uh, the uh, the interaction that Jesus and Pontius Pilate had. He's the Roman, uh, the Roman governor that had him uh, be crucified. That, That that after. Um, there's this kind of myth behind this that after Jesus' crucifixion, they said that Pontius Pilate went crazy trying to wash the blood off of his hands from killing an innocent man. You never have an encounter with God and leave the same. So coming to Christ brings the greatest joy imaginable. But listen, until we reach eternity, it also brings the heaviest weight, the biggest responsibility, and sometimes the biggest sadness. It does. Because once you understand how good he is, you start to really see the depravity of mankind. And we have a mission, and sometimes that mission is extremely messy, and it's not always fun. Let me take it a step further. If the church is not messy, then the church is probably not being what it needs to be. If the church is not messy, if you are overtly comfortable in this church, we're probably not doing everything we should be doing. It should be a little messy, and it shouldn't always be fun. Next part. Here's where you guys start thinking I'm a kook. Suddenly a hand touched me and raised me to my hands and knees. He said to me, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. Understand the words that I'm saying to you. Stand to your feet, for I have now been sent to you. And after he said this to me, I stood trembling. He's so easy, he's still got wobbly legs. Don't be afraid, Daniel, he said to me. For from the first day that you purposed to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your prayers were heard. Listen to that. Your prayers were heard because you purposed yourself to understand and you humbled yourself. That's why your prayers were heard. I have come because of your prayers. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me after I had been left with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to help you understand what will happen to your people in the last days. For the vision refers to those days. Now again, remember, Daniel has fallen asleep face down on the ground. He's passed out on the ground. And in the middle of this deep sleep, an angel touches him and he raises up to his hands and his knees. Kind of like if you've been beaten up really bad and all you can do is kind of get on all fours. That's as high as he could get. And the angel said, Daniel, not only are you treasured by God, you've been chosen by God to understand what I'm about to tell you. And so we know that God loves all of humanity. It says that in John 3:16 and 3:17 for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not die but have everlasting life. God loves people, but God chooses certain people for certain purposes, and Daniel is one of those individuals. So, when we're chosen, Daniel was chosen by God. But we also see that he was responsible He said that he sought out understanding and he sought out humility. So we are given a responsibility. And the Bible is clear in the Old Testament and the Bible is clear in the New Testament that the petitions of righteous people are heard and listened to by God. Now it says that about eight times in the Bible. And so when people say, Corey, how dare you say that God doesn't listen to everyone's prayers? It's because the Bible says that he doesn't listen to everyone's prayers. He hears all things, all things but he only listens and acts when the things we ask of him are in alignment with his will that's how he is so we have the responsibility so if God calls you, you have the responsibility to pray. You have the responsibility to seek out God's will. You have the responsibility to study and to simply live righteously. And when we live the way that God wants us to live, there is this communication that is opened between us and God. And the prayers of, an, of a righteous person are extremely effective, James 5.16. And so it opens that channel up. Now we get into super weird territory, right? Right? In verse 13, we start getting into what is spiritual warfare. And Daniel is kind of going to have his understanding really opened up. This angel that goes and and touches Daniel, right? And kind of raises him up. Says, hey, I've got to go fight with the prince of Persia pretty soon. And I've been warring with the prince of Persia. The prince of Persia is not a literal prince, not a flesh and blood prince. This is a demonic spirit. So what this alludes to, as that these evil empires have demonic spirits that help them do evil things. And during the time of Daniel's fast, there was a spiritual warfare going all around him that he could not see. He's fasting, he's praying, and in the whole time, angels and demons are warring around. And if you think that's crazy, that is echoed In Ephesians 6, 12, and 13, we fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the evil dark spirits. That's what we fight against. And so Paul clarifies that for us in the New Testament. So now here's where I'm going to get really offensive. I was joking. This service is actually, you know, pretty full, but some of the other ones were a little light and I was like, well, maybe God was being generous because this is a very offensive thing to say. Maybe I wouldn't offend as many people. Um, But the Bible takes it a step further theologians are almost unanimous in agreeing that that demonic forces have a part in evil governments and evil kingdoms. We see this in chapter 10 because it mentions the demon that comes from Persia and the demon that comes from Greece. Now, the Bible takes it further than that. Now, here's the offensive part. As that false gods are not false gods at all, they are demonic forces. So, when you research, there's this movie coming out, The Gods of Egypt, or something like that. It looks really, really terrible, right? All the Egyptians were white people with blue eyes, too, by the way. So, um, (laughs) there's this new movie coming out, right? The gods of Egypt were not gods at all. According to the Old Testament and the New Testament, they were demonic forces, they were demons. That's what it says. So get this, this is where it becomes offensive. And this is why universalism is so detrimental to Christianity. If we include universalism into our faith, we're literally entertaining demons. Because Krishna of the Hindu faith is not a God at all. That is a demonic spirit. Ganesha is not a God at all. That's a demonic spirit. That's why as Christians, guys, you guys are going to think I'm super legalistic, but that's why we don't entertain these idols. That's why it's not cute to have a statue of Ganesha in your house. It's just an elephant God. Do you know that's what Abraham did before God rocked his boat? He made little trinkets for people to buy and put in their house as little gods. That's what Abraham did. And God said, stop. So when we bring those things into our home, we are bringing in things that represent demonic forces. Now, Corey, you're crazy. I'm just telling you the Bible. And those are things that we need to be very careful. And it's not just the gods of, of of other religions. It's not just Allah and Krishna and Ganesha and the elevation of Buddha into this kind of superhuman. It's not those things aren't just demonic. The the idols that we create in North America are also demonic. The idol of materialism, the idol of sports worship. Things like that become evil when we make them into gods. And it's not just this thing that we're making up. There are dark forces at work in those things. Move on. So while this one angel, this unnamed angel, is fighting with this spirit, this evil spirit from Persia, it says that Michael was called in. Now, Michael is another famous angel in the Bible. He's an archangel. We know he's an archangel because in Revelation twelve seven. It says he's an archangel, that he's going to lead these wars against uh, uh, the Satan, the, like, Satan's army during the tribulation, that he's kind of the head of God's army, okay? And so what we need to be careful of is this. Now, this is important. When we talk about angels, we need to be careful either not to become angel maniacs because the Bible says not to worship angels. You know, people get crazy with angels. Man, just angels everywhere. There's an angel angel over my my car and I got this angel that, you know, angel, 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 angel. and It's a little crazy. Then it becomes angel mania, which is wrong. We also don't need to gravitate towards angel phobia. We need to find the biblical balance and know and not overemphasize angels or not diminish angels but just talk about angels the way the Bible lays it out. We also need to be careful with demonic things. We don't need to become uh, demon mania or demon phobia people either. And we blame Satan for everything. Look, if you're looking at porn at two o'clock in the morning, that's not Satan, that's you. Let me tell you this, Satan is not omnipresent. means he can't be everywhere at all times. So if you're just like, man, the devil made me do it. Like the devil must really think a lot of you, Right? Because out of the 8 billion people on planet earth, he wanted to hang out with you tonight. That's really impressive. And so sometimes we blame the devil for things that are really just our flesh and really just our selfishness. And it's us. It's not him. Oh, the devil made me get in my car and drive to that bar and cheat on my wife. I'm like, no, the devil didn't do that. You did that. You did that. The old joke goes, devil sitting on a stump, like crying, right? This Christian walks by and he goes, Satan, why are you so sad? And he goes, Pants, you Christians, you blame me for everything. <laughs> it's a bad joke. It's all right. You guys are so nice. Um, <laughs> so, all of this upcoming information that Daniel is about to receive, this is about the future, it's for the near future. And it's for the very, very distant future. So when it says that in the last days, I'm giving you the information for the things in the last days. So he's, he's, the angel is saying, Daniel, I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen with your people, the Jewish people. And I'm also gonna tell you about what's gonna to happen to uh, the church way off in the future during the tribulation. So, so far we've seen that there's more than just the natural. There's more beyond what we see. And what's interesting talking about the Prince of Persia and the Prince of Greece, these demonic spirits that are involved in these evil empires, we kind of see the curtain is opened behind world history. We start to see that it wasn't just a crazy man in Germany in the 1930s and 40s, that there were demonic forces involved in the Nazi regime. Amen, right? And so we start to see the curtain pulled back. And so history kind of looks a little bit different when you know that there is a spiritual component to it. So... This should inspire us to pray, to fast, to study the Word of God. And we need to understand, and we will get this through prayer and study, that God is the ultimate victor. Now, look, I know there's a time for war. I know there's a time for self-defense. I know there's a time for physically stepping in and liberating the oppressed. I understand all that because the Bible supports that. But ultimately, we will not defeat evil with bombs and guns and tanks and armies. Ultimately, evil will be destroyed. It's in the book of Revelation when Jesus comes back and speaks it and evil is decimated. So we just need to make sure we're behind Jesus, not in front of him when that takes place. You get what I'm saying? We need to make sure we're behind the right person. And if we are, God is going to take care of the evil in the world. Last part. While he was saying these words to me, I turned my face towards the ground and was speechless. Suddenly, one with human likeness touched my lips. I opened my mouth and said to the one standing in front of me, "'My Lord,' Because of the vision, anguish overwhelms me and I'm powerless. How can someone like me, your servant, speak with someone like you, my Lord? Now I have no strength and there is no breath in me. The one with human likeness touched me again and strengthened me. He said, Don't be afraid, you who are treasured by God. Peace to you, be very strong. As he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. He said, do you know why I've come to you? I must return at once to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I leave, the prince of Greece will come. No one has the courage to support me against them except Michael, your prince. However, I will tell you what is recorded in the book of truth. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to strengthen and protect him. Now, I will tell you the truth. So, Daniel is rendered speechless. Look, it's like this veil has been opened, and it's not just that the Persians conquered the Babylonians, and the Greeks are going to conquer the Persians. There are angels and demons involved in this whole thing. So, he just doesn't know what to say, right? He's on the ground on all fours, speechless. This this angel touches him, one with human likeness, touches his lips. And his first response, because now he can talk, is because of this, because of what I've seen, anguish overwhelms me. I'm powerless. And he says, I'm out of breath. I got nothing. I'm completely at a loss for words. Now, I may be looking into this too much, but I found this interesting. He was touched twice. The first touch made him understand and recognize how finite he was. The first touch let him understand like, 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 like I just read to you, I'm powerless, I have nothing, I'm out of breath, this totally overwhelms me. But it was the second touch, the second touch from this angelic being from heaven gave him strength, gave him encouragement, gave him peace. And so, it's similar to us with Christ. The first time we have that encounter with God, it is a very humbling experience. We repent, or at least we should repent. That's when we say, God, I'm nothing. I'm nothing without you. I'm sorry from what I've done. I'm sorry that I've been rebellious towards you. I'm I'm, I'm powerless. I'm speechless. I, I have nothing. But it's the second touch. It's that maturing with God. It's that second encounter with God where we start to get strength. We start to get clarity for our life. We start to get peace about what we're doing. And so there's this maturation process, this growing process. And so Daniel stands up, right? He finally has enough power to stand up. He's standing up and the angel says, do you know why I've come? Now, Daniel was invigorated, but maybe the, the angel asked that because you know, his legs are still kind of wobbling. He said, I'm gonna tell you something important. Are you, are you gonna remember this? Like, are you, are you coherent enough to remember this? And so he asks him and he says, now look, after I tell you this vision, I gotta go. I gotta go fight the prince of Persia, this demonic spirit. And then after the prince of Persia, I've gotta fight this demonic spirit from Greece. And so this angel says, I've got to go back and engage in this spiritual warfare. Now, again, talking about spiritual warfare, instead of talking about angels, let's, let's talk about us. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 gives us a very good roadmap of how we fight spiritual warfare. And this is a scripture worth marking in your Bible or, or, or just somehow marking the page or folding it over or putting it to memory or something. It's a great scripture. And it says this, wear truth like a belt, Righteousness like armor on your chest, feet ready to go out and share the gospel, a shield of faith, helmet of salvation, the sword of God's Spirit, which is the Word of God, the Bible. And it says, pray at all times in the Spirit. It's a good roadmap on how we are to protect ourselves and insulate ourselves with the Holy Spirit in order for the spiritual battles that we're going to have. And now, the angel says, now this is all written in the book of truth, this is not the Bible. The Bible didn't exist. They had the Old Testament, which was called the Tanakh, but they did not have the New Testament yet. So it's not talking about the Bible. The book of truth that this angel is talking about is basically what's written in heaven, that God has already written this story. Everything that he says is going to come to pass. Everything that has happened in the past, he wrote. Everything now and everything in the future. It's already written. It's going to happen exactly the way God wants it to happen. We also see in verse 11, 1, it says... Uh, In the first year of Darius the Mede, I, the angel speaking, stood up to strengthen and protect Darius. Darius was a pagan king. He was was under the Persian Empire. He was a pagan king that ruled God's people for a certain amount of time. And what this angel was saying to Daniel is because of God and because God sent me, I protected Darius, I held him up, I, I was influential to Darius around him, protecting him, whatever, so Daniel could rise in prominence. If you weren't with us, when the Persians came in and conquered the Babylonians, Daniel, like, got, like, this, this huge, like, career boost and bolted up to the top of the Persian empire. And that was miraculous. And this angel said, I had a part in that. And what we learn from that is this, that God is active in the political arena. Let me dial my sarcasm, sarcasm down here for a second. Um, when I look at the political arena right now, I'm like, my Lord, where in the heck are you in this? I don't see it. And I know some of you guys are passionate about politics, don't know how during this election anyone can be passionate about politics, but I know that God's in control. In Romans chapter 13, this church, whoever gets elected, which, whoever it is, this guy will be disappointed, whoever gets elected, but it says in Romans chapter 13 that we are to respect the governing authorities. And this church will pray for whoever gets elected. Whoever it is, we will pray pray for them. Why? Not because we agree with everything they say, but because God has placed them there for a reason. And we have to trust that. Is that hard? Heck yes, it's hard. Heck yes, it's hard. But we have to step back. Guys, we know how the story unfolds. We know it's going to get bad. I'm a pessimist when it comes to this world. I think it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse until Christ is like, all right, I'm done with this. And he reinserts himself. That's what I think. And I think the Bible supports that. But it's hard to trust that. But God is active and he knows what he's doing. And so what we've seen in this chapter, the 30,000 foot view, right? Is we've seen the epic battle of good and evil. Now this started a long time ago. Here's my Bible, right, Daniel? If you go way back to the beginning in Genesis, the battle of good and evil started in Genesis chapter 3. And way back in Genesis chapter 3, Satan knew that God had a plan. He knew that one day he would send a Savior. He knew that one day the Savior would redeem mankind and one day the Savior would come back a second time to separate evil and good. He knew that. So what's been going on since Genesis chapter 3, since the first two humans that were ever created, Satan has been actively trying to thwart God's plan. And he uses evil empires. He uses corruption. He uses lust. He uses greed. He uses everything he can to try to counteract the prophecies of God. So, 30,000 foot view. Let's, let's focus in a little bit. Let's, let's bring it down. Let's bring it down to you and me. Satan cannot defeat God. So what Satan chooses to do is go after God's people. I don't know if you know this or not. We are above the angels. The angels are dumbfounded that God would love humanity so much. The angels are like, wow, they're just rebellious, dirty creatures. Why do you love them so much? But he does, and we are elevated above them. And so Satan, being a fallen angel, can't comprehend this. So what he tries to do And his hatred towards God, he applies that hatred towards us and he does everything he can to try to destroy us. And as we speak right now, right now, you can think I'm a charismatic nut all day long, but right now Satan is doing everything he can to slip into your marriage, into your finances, into your workplace, into your families, into your personal lives. And what he wants to do is he wants to exploit your weaknesses and exploit your insecurities in the hope Of utterly destroying you. Now that sounds crazy, Corey. Again, just taking my cues from the Bible. Now I love what the King James Version says on this. It says, be sober and be vigilant. Now let me just be a little bit more controversial. You know why drunkenness and smoking pot and stuff like that is a sin? Because it inebriates you and it makes your mind not clear. So when the Bible is talking about sobriety, it's not because God's just like this, you know, legalistic micromanager. It's because when you're not clear in thought, when you're not alert, when you're not serious, when you're not vigilant, when you're not sober, it opens up a door for the roaring lion that is Satan to slip in. So we must be clear in thought. We must be sober. We must be serious. We must be vigilant. We must be alert. Because Satan walks around looking to destroy anyone he can devour. So what are we told to do? Resist him. Be firm in the faith, knowing that we're not the only ones. It's happening to people all around the globe. We're all suffering these temptations and this roaring roaring lion that's walking around looking to devour us. But it gives us hope. This is what it says. I'm going to pull out something huge from this. Now, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered a little bit. Now, listen. Here's the big difference between the power of darkness and the power of God. Satan is not omnipresent. I said that earlier. So Satan can't attack you guys. He has to use demons, right? Lower level He's not, the boss can't do it because the boss isn't powerful enough. Now you compare that to the power of Jesus Christ. He will personally, because God is omnipresent. So God doesn't have to send his angels to restore and establish and save you. He personally can do it. Do you see the power difference? Satan can't personally come after you, but God can personally protect you. There is a difference in power there. There is such a huge contrast of good and evil that God is the one that comes down. God is personal with his creation and the dominion belongs to him forever. Amen. That's good stuff. So all week, all week, this last slide has been on my mind and it's not super thought provoking but I felt so strongly. And now look, this is where I say I'm preaching to the choir. I know a lot of you, you guys are a great group, a great group. But even if we're living in a level seven, guys, we've got to take it up to a level eight. We've got to mature in our faith. And the first thing I felt so strongly this week to say to you guys is we've got to take this seriously. We've got to take our city. We've got to take our families. We've got to take our faith. We've got to take the word of God living righteously. We've got to take this seriously. There is so much confusion in the world, so much evil in the world, so much idol worship in the world. There's so much of that stuff in the church. We've got to buckle down. We can't keep putting off our relationship with God until the crap hits the fan. We can't do that. We've got to take this seriously. We've got to take it seriously. We also need to acknowledge the supernatural. We need to understand that without the Holy Spirit of God, we cannot live the kind of life that we're supposed to. Man, I'm a 36-year-old unlearned person, right? I'm not super intelligent. I'm not super smart. But ever since I became a Christian, I prayed for God to give me a supernatural gift of wisdom. I was 23 years old when I started praying that, and 23-year-olds aren't wise, no offense, but you just haven't lived long enough. I haven't lived long enough. But if I depend on the supernatural, if I believe in the gifts of the Spirit, then God can give me the, the, the gift of wisdom. He can give me the, the, the gift of discernment. And even in a young age, I can make wise decisions, not because I'm good, but because He gives me the gift. So we need to not deny the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible even says there will come a time when people will appear to be godly, but they will deny the power thereof. We don't need to become those people. God gives us the gift of wisdom, knowledge, discernment, miracles, healing, the gift of speaking in tongues, the gift of prophecy, the gift of interpreting. We don't need to be afraid of those things. They're biblical and they're good and they're there for our benefit and for the edification of each other. And we need to pray for those things and be open to those things and not be afraid of those things. We need to trust in the supernatural. We need to depend on God. We need to pray. We need to study. And the one that really hung on me all week is this one. Some of us just need to grow up and we need to choose to live right. Some of us just need to grow up. There are people that come in my office, and I'm not trying to make fun of them or knock them. Like my office is open, and, and, and all of our offices are open, and we want to help people. But people will come in, 40 years old, and they've been in the faith for 25 years, and got baptized, and grew up in good households, and they come into my into my office, just like I don't know how it happened. My wife was out of town, the kids were out of town. There's this woman that I flirt with all the time at work. We went out and had seven or eight drinks, and we ended up sleeping together. I don't know how how, how it happened, and I'm like, really, you don't know how that happened? You don't know how that happened? You dance with the devil and then wonder why you have burn marks all over you. You don't know why that happened. I don't know what it is, Corey. Never took our kids to church, never read them the word of God, never encouraged them to come. I watched 2 hours of sports every night after I worked 10 hours. My kids grew up and they're doing all they're living like hell. Don't know how it happened. I'm like, "Really? You don't know how that happened? You chose to put sports over your children." You chose to put your occupation over your wife. You don't know how it happened? You need to come into my office and ask me how that happened. It happened because you didn't choose to live obediently to the Word of God. And that's not to condemn you or make you feel bad. But look, if that laptop is open at three o'clock in the morning and you're starting to go places you shouldn't go, man, Jesus Christ is not going to show up in your home and be like, what are you doing? what are you doing? You have to choose. You have to make the decision. You have to, when that attractive woman at your work gives you too much attention, you have to make the choice. You have to build the walls. You have to take those steps. You have to buy a copy of this book, and you need to learn it for the sake of your family. Listen, I'm nothing. You cannot depend on me or anyone else to disciple and mentor and teach your family. It's your job. It's your job. Now, you don't have to clap for that. But listen, it's hard. It takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of sacrifice. But some of you guys need to turn off the football game. People all the time tell me, I just don't have enough time. That game was two and a half hours long. You've got the time. It's the priorities you don't have. The time is there. Corey, I don't have time to pray. You have time to watch that sitcom every night. You have time to take care of yourself physically and run and jog and work out. Those things are good. None of those things are bad. Nothing wrong with football. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But our priorities. Paul said, when I was a young man, I acted like a young man. But when I grew up, I had to mature. We've got to move from just drinking milk and consuming the the, the light stuff into eating meat. Or if you're a vegetarian, it's really dense tofu, right? You've got, (laughs) got to make this transition. Listen, I love you guys, and this is not me condemning you. When I say things like there's nowhere else in the universe, I'd rather be than right here and right now, I mean it, I mean it. This is where God has put me, and I love you guys more than you know, more than you know, and more than I'm good at expressing. And I want what's best for you, but beyond what this church wants for you, God knows what's best for you. And if there's not communication, if there's not a conscious decision to read the Word, apply the Word, pray, fast, grow closer to Him. There's not a conscious decision to do that. Not only will your life be bad in eternity, it'll be bad right now. Things will fall apart right now. I just want to encourage you. We are given a brain. We are given free will. We need to make good use of it. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If there's anyone in this room who's on the fence, any skeptics, any doubters, I'm really, really glad you're here. If you have any questions, if, you, if, you, if, if, if you're looking, if you're searching, there'll be people up here to my left, you're right. If you need prayer for anything, find Josh or find one of the other people. And if you have questions, set up a time. Let's, let's get together and talk. If you're in here and you know what's right, you know what's right. You know that you've gone too far with that individual at work. You know that you've dabbled in stuff you shouldn't. You know that if you struggle with alcohol, you shouldn't go to the bar. You know that. You know. You know that there's things you got to get a grip on. You know that. I just want to pray, and I want you to pray, that God gives you the courage, the strength, that you can just make the right decisions and live righteously for Him. That you'll be disciplined this year. Some of you guys just need to put it in your calendar. You need to block out the time. You need to tell yourself, I will not let anything take precedence over my relationship with God and my relationship with my family, my city, my neighbors. Guys, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, we have one shot and you're in the middle of it right now. We have one shot and you're in it. Right now. One shot. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Father God, I love you. Lord, as we take communion, Father, I pray, Lord, that everyone approaches communion, Lord, with repentance. God, if we don't, then we take it to our own condemnation. So, Father, Lord, everyone, before they take communion, Lord, I pray that they reach a place of repentance with you. Thank you, God, for what this communion represents, the body and blood of your Son that came and died for us, God gave his life, rose up from the grave, and poured out his Holy Spirit on us. Father, if there's anyone that needs prayer, God, let them come up here and find some good men and women to pray with them, Lord. If there's anyone that has questions, God, Lord, let them ask. If there's anyone struggling with skepticism, Lord, I pray that you just start to reveal yourself to them. And God, for those of us who've become apathetic, wake us up, Father. Wake us up. Lord, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you, God. All the glory belongs to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys, welcome to take communion. Please be respectful if you don't take it uh, with all the people around you.